0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Wow, my heart is encouraged this morning just uh, watching those kids and seeing the parental commitment there to raise those kids in the Lord. That's incredible. So we're going to just continue along in our theme of uh, families this morning, and we're going to skip ahead in the book of Ephesians and open up Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33. So go ahead and open your Bibles, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Now, as we approach this book of Ephesians, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit intends to leave no area of your life untouched. That's what we're looking at as we're making our way through this book. Paul said, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been given a new identity. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are loved by Christ. In fact, so much so that you can't fully comprehend how much He loves you. You've been placed into a new community called the church. And now, you're called to walk in a new life. And this life impacts everything. It impacts your character, your motives, and even your relationships. So it makes sense then that as we look at the text this morning, that Paul would have something to say about marriage, one of the most foundational relationships in human society. Now, as we get into Paul's words on marriage, his instructions, I submit to you this morning that he presents a counter cultural vision for marriage. It was countercultural then. It's countercultural now. When the Bible addresses culture, it addresses culture like this. It celebrates what is good in culture. It challenges what is unhealthy in culture. And, And here, as we look at marriage, according to Paul, we're going to receive a hopeful vision for marriage, and a hopeful vision for what this new life in Christ is all about. So let me read the passage to you, and then we'll make our way through it. We pick up at verse 22. The text says this, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." So we pick up with this thought, we've been making our way through this book of Ephesians, And if you haven't been with us, we talked about the unity of the church a couple of weeks ago. As I was reading this passage, I realized that the unity of the church is very similar to marriage. When it comes to marriage, we can choose to maintain it, we can choose to mess it up, but we can't choose to define it or make it. When you look at the scriptures, the Bible tells us that God is the one who made marriage. Look at verse 31, and you'll see there that Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Do you see what's happening there? Paul's going all the way back to the foundational beginning of things, and he's saying, listen, God made this. And God's intention in making this was to provide it for humans as a gift. Now, marriage, according to the Bible, is the most basic unit of society. It is a home base, a support system, a place of safety, a foundation for life building, and a launching pad for new life. Now, We have to just kind of grapple with that and compare it to today. If you look at the state of marriage in 2022, for example, how would we say marriage is doing? Well, I would suggest that it's struggling. And I would suggest it's struggling for multiple reasons. Some of those reasons have to do with the reality that marriage doesn't feel like the gift uh, when we're in a marriage that's struggling. But at a more foundational level, I would suggest that it doesn't, or it's struggling because many people suspect that marriage, while it may even have made sense hundreds of years ago, it doesn't seem to make as much sense today. We think like this, we're progressive now. We've grown beyond the traditional ideals and and values of the Bible. There's nothing holding us back from reimagining marriage. But let's pause for a second here. Who made it? The Bible tells us God made marriage. So if God's the one who made marriage, then before I can fundamentally do away with it or reimagine it, I actually have to take a step back and ask the question, Why did he make it, and for what purpose, and why did he seem to put some boundaries around it? Think of it like this. Imagine with me for a moment you're walking, and you come upon a space, a beautiful space. It's a beautiful green lawn with a a narrow path leading down the middle of the lawn. And as you start to approach the lawn, you notice a large sign that says this, Stay on the path. Stay on the path. You got it? Green space, narrow path, sign says stay on the path. Now, there are two ways that I could approach the sign, isn't there? One way I could approach the sign is I could think like this. Who put the sign there? I mean, what in the world do they think that they have the right to put a sign here and tell me this is a free country? I can walk on any grass that I want to walk on. In fact, I need to get rid of this sign because they can't tell me what to do. And then I proceed to just trample upon the grass. Maybe I get down on the ground and I start rolling in the grass. Another way to approach it. I could walk up to that same sign and I could say, hmm, I wonder who put this sign here. I wonder why they put this sign here. Maybe I'll stay off the grass until I understand why the sign is here. Which approach seems more rational to you? I would suggest it is the second, because what if the sign's there because there's landmines all over the grass? Or what if the sign is there because there's this rare, endangered grass that only exists in this one place in all the world, and if I just go trampling all over it, I'm not going to preserve this beautiful thing that exists only here. What if the path is a space where I can continue to walk forward in freedom while protecting myself and preserving something that is precious. I suggest this morning that when the Bible defines marriage, it's really giving us a path, a path that has a lot of freedom involved with it, a space where we can enjoy things that everyone's looking for, like intimacy and love. It's also a space where we can enjoy some of the fulfilling, self-actualizing things of life, like procreation and experiencing the next generation. But there is a sign that says, stay on the path. Why? Because if I get off of the path, then I start trampling upon something that's precious and maybe even stepping on landmines. Now, let's get into the biblical definition for marriage. The Bible defines it like this. It says that marriage is a covenant relationship of exclusivity. Uh, When you hear marriage vows, they say things like this, you and no other. So it's a relationship of exclusivity and a relationship of permanence. You hear the lines, until death do us part. It's between a husband and a wife, and this is a covenant before God because God is the maker of marriage. So biblical marriage is the place of safety for a husband and wife to enjoy the freedoms of love, intimacy, procreation, and lifelong commitment. And God says in his word, stay on the path because the path is the place of freedom." Now, as we get into Paul's description of marriage in Ephesians 5, I want to suggest that marriage is something that should be celebrated by all Christians, regardless of your marriage status, for two reasons. One, we just talked about it. God gave it to people as a gift. He didn't just give it to people at the individual level, like two people who are in love as a gift. He gave marriage to society as a gift. Second, we'll see in verses 31 and 32, is that marriage shines the spotlight on something greater than even itself. Listen to Paul's words in verses 31 and 32. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So here's what Paul is saying the greater reality is Christ's love relationship with the church. Here you have Paul, this single man, by the way, celebrating marriage because for Paul, marriage is the best picture to visualize what he's talking about when he says Christ loves the church. There's no better picture in his mind. The covenant, the depths of love and commitment that can be achieved the unity that can be achieved. When marriage is at its best, when it comes close to touching upon the ideal, which we're kind of in a fallen world, we're never going to fully realize the ideal, but when it comes close to touching the ideal, it is the best picture that Paul can think of in describing Christ's love for the church. Which means then that every Christian marriage, then, is a mini-drama pointing to Christ's love for the church. So in your own marriage, if you are married today, as you maintain that marriage, you shine the spotlight on Christ. And if you're messing it up, you have the opposite effect. In fact, I wonder if many people who sit outside of the church looking in, have a bad image of Christ in their mind because they've seen Christian marriages get messed up. We have to ask the question then, I don't want to do that. How do I shine the spotlight on Christ? How do I maintain this thing? How do I make marriage all that it could be and should be? Paul gives some advice in this text. He says this, the best way to maintain your marriage involves fulfilling your role in the gospel drama. So the gospel drama is Christ's relationship with the church and you're reflecting that. And he says, listen, husband, Listen, wife, you have a part to play in this. And when you fulfill that role, you shine the spotlight in Christ in a special way that your partner can't do. So let's talk about the wife's role. Look back at 22 through 24. The text says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is his, himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Now I'm just going to come right out and say it. How does the word submit affect you emotionally this morning? I asked a question. It's like crickets chirping in the room right now. So I've got to talk about it, I guess. Whatever. Listen, I've been pastoring for over 12 years now, and this word is like a four-letter word for some people. It is a term of suspicion, much like the word authority. We read this word, and our minds immediately jump to thoughts like subjugation, coercion, inferiority, and, dominion. and I'm right there with you. I don't like any kind of term that makes me think those kind of thoughts. But let me just be clear with you up front when it comes to this term. The Bible never, ever teaches that women should be subjugated. Nowhere does it express that women are inferior to men. So then, why does the Bible have a term like this that conjures those kinds of thoughts? Let's think about something for a moment. I like to think of ideas in this way. Ideas tend to swing or shift like the swing of a pendulum. And when pendulums swing, they tend to pass quickly beyond the balanced middle people tend to kind of exist on the extremes of ideas and thoughts. So Paul, he's writing to an audience where the pendulum is in the complete opposite direction from what it is today. Back then, people did believe that women were inferior. They believed that men were superior and had the right to be in leadership because of their inherent qualities of superiority. And Paul writes, remember, the Bible celebrates what's good in culture and it what challenges what is unhealthy in culture, he writes in this culture and he elevates women because the cultural attitude is wrong. It's wrong. I think you know where I'm going. We're at another side of the pendulum swing. We look at any kind of positional authority as suspect. We're cynical. We ask in question everything we suspect that everyone has bad motives unless we really, really know them. We love to quote Lord Acton. Lord Acton said this, power tends to corrupt in absolute power, corrupts absolutely. So when we hear terms like submission, we think of power dynamics, power dynamics, you know, When the Bible talks about leadership or authority or any of those things, it doesn't care about power dynamics. God doesn't care if someone's the president or a janitor, the CEO or someone on the street that doesn't have a job. It says in Scripture, he shows no partiality whatsoever toward one person or another. When the Bible is talking about authority, it values organization Order, chain of command. All of those things you'll see in the Bible. And we see that when those things don't exist, society is harmed. God cares about human flourishing. When there aren't those things, society degrades. That's why the Bible is full of language about authority. It talks about authority in society. It says, be subject to the governing authorities. In the church, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. In marriage, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. In the home, children, obey your parents in the Lord. At work, and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit here, worker, obey your bosses. So it's not a value of might makes right it's a value of order and organization what happens when order and organization evaporate anybody read the Lord of the Flies or better have you read history you see any time a society rejects order and organization and trends towards anarchy chaos ensues so without order there can be no real security. Security is the greenhouse environment for human flourishing. So now we come back to Paul's words. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now here's what he's saying here. Hear me out. Marriages work best when wives honor the leadership of the husband. And I have a big disclaimer as I say that this has nothing to do with stereotypical gender notions such as men are more intelligent or they're more competent or they are more natural leaders. If someone tries to have that debate, they will lose it. Because I can think of right now, off of the top of my head, 50 anecdotal examples as to why they are wrong. No, God's design is not about innate abilities or intrinsic value. It's about roles. In marriage, wives have a role. You go back to that foundational text in Genesis, and it says that the wife is called to be a helper. Now, that's an incredible term, a powerful term. When you look at the Bible, helper is only ever used of God. So a wife actually comes into a marriage and she brings something into that marriage that only God can do. It means that she has been given a tremendous power to do good in her marriage. I was thinking of a story this week that I read recently. There was a wife, Katharina, and she helped her husband. Now, her husband happened to be the late reformer Martin Luther. Now, if you know anything about Martin Luther's life, he led a very fast-paced, intense sort of life. He was just constantly on the go, constantly challenging ideas, and I have a feeling that it brought a lot of stress into his world. In fact, you hear reports that he experienced a lot of highs and lows in life. Well, there was one time where he was in a particular rut. I mean, super bad depression. Going on for weeks. Finally, Katharina's had enough. So what does she do? She comes downstairs one morning. She's dressed all in black as if she's ready to go off to a funeral. And Luther looks over and he says, Who died? And she says, God. And he's like, what? You can't say that. You can't say God. God doesn't die. And she says, well, by the way you've been acting recently, I thought he had. See, I think she probably greatly helped him out of that rut. Now, I know some of you are saying, I still don't like the word, Rob. I don't like the word submission. I can think of examples in my own experience where I have seen either pastors Or husbands or men leverage that word in harmful ways. Listen, part of good teaching involves understanding what a word doesn't mean as much as what it does mean. And let me just give you some ideas of what the word submission does not mean. One, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Two, Submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. Three, submission does not mean avoiding efforts to change your husband at times. There are things that I've needed to change, and I needed to hear that from my wife. Fourth, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Anytime we're in authority dynamic relationship, Christ is Lord. He's always the one who's in charge. And anytime I'm asked, say in a work environment or any place, to do something that's contrary to what Christ would want, guess what the answer is? No. It's a big no. Fifth, submission does not mean you need to be subjected to coercive or abusive behavior. You see, there has been a lot of harm caused by teaching which Did not emphasize what submission does not mean, and it has been used as leverage. And let me just say this loud and clear that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. But you know what else is unacceptable? To dismiss what the Bible teaches because I've experienced the malpractice of it. I need to go back to the ideal, I need to understand what the ideal means. So what does it mean? It means a wife has a disposition to follow her husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. She comes in with this positive attitude that says, I delight to take the initiative, for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad When you take responsibility for things like leading us spiritually and directing us positively in our lives. Now notice that that's a very specific relationship. It's very defined, right? It's not general. It's not that all women should submit to all men. That would be wrong. That's not what the Bible ever says. Very specific to the marriage. And look at what happens when the wife assumes her role. The marriage is strengthened, but more importantly, it shines the spotlight on Christ. You have this immense ability to show people what it is like to follow the leadership of Jesus. His leadership is good. He's not a taskmaster. He's not overbearing. He's always gentle and lowly in his approach to leadership. That's why Paul says, Submit as to the Lord, because it's not ultimately about the husband. It's about Christ. Just like he says to the worker, obey your boss as if you are obeying Christ himself. You're doing this because of Christ. And when I do that, I shine the spotlight on Jesus. Now we got to get to you husbands, Okay. Now listen here, guys, when it comes to Paul's command, husbands, you are called to do the impossible, okay? Look at what the text says. I'm I'm not kidding you here. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands should love their own wives as they love their own body. No one wants to shoot off their own toes, right? He who loves his wife loves himself. This is impossible. You can't do it. What did we just see in Ephesians chapter 3 about the love of Christ? It's so vast, so deep, so wide, you can't even comprehend it. So you're saying to me this morning, Rob, that I am supposed to Do something for someone else that I don't fully understand? And the answer I'm telling you from the Word of God this morning is, yes, it's impossible. You can't do it. Sermon over. Unless, of course, you understand that you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. So the only way that I can do my role as a husband in my marriage is by drawing from the vast reservoir of Christ's love The moment that I try to operate in my marriage outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit is the moment I fail my wife and my family. I love what Kathy Keller says of the husband's role. She says, to what role must the husband submit? To that of a savior, a servant leader, who uses his authority and power to express a love that doesn't even stop at dying for the beloved. You know, some men have been guilty of embracing the authority aspect of their role without embracing the sacrificial aspect of the role. That's wrong. And it's a bad definition of leadership if that's how you understand leadership. You see, every time the Bible describes leadership It's not about who gets to make the final decision. It's not about who has the power. It's about the captain being willing to go down with the ship. It's a call to lay down your life. Look at what he says in Matthew 20 on leadership. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. They're expedient, they use power for their own purposes, their own benefit, and that's wrong. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Your model is Jesus, and it's impossible unless you are empowered, even dominated daily by the Holy Spirit. So, how do I convey Christ's love to my wife and to my family? Well, love tends to unfold in a threefold progression. First thing that love does is love looks deeply. Think about Christ's example. Christ looked deeply in us. He looked past our outward veneer into our hearts. The outward veneer of the human disposition is, I'm all set with this spirituality thing. I've got this. I know just what I'm doing. But when Christ looks past the veneer and into the heart, he sees reality. He sees brokenness. He sees people who are far from God, people who, unless they have a Savior, will never come back to God. So what does Christ do? He gets down at our level. Now, if the husband wants to be like Christ in the relationship, you've got to pray to understand her at the profoundest levels. You have to pray to understand what makes her tick. What makes her happy? What makes her devastated? How do I do that? Well, here's the only practical piece of advice I'm going to give you this morning. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. We've got to become great listeners and forget about the whole talking thing all the time. The more I hear, the more I understand. And then I can respond to things when I understand. I love this expression. It says, um, prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Have you ever had that situation where a doctor heard you for nine seconds and then they started writing the prescription? That's not good. I do that all the time as a husband. Secondly, love acts quickly. So scripture says that Christ did not regard equality with God something to be grasped for himself. He has a quality with God, but he doesn't grasp it for his own benefit. Instead, he does the opposite. He gives himself up. He empties himself to serve our deepest need. So here's what it's saying. The husband then must view the, the needs of his wife as more urgent than his own needs in the moment. That's hard, so you're saying to me, Rob, that I'm going to have to take care of her concerns before I deal with my own, even if I've had a hard week or even if I'm not feeling like it right now? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So you're saying I'm going to have to put my interests aside while I attend to hers? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I said it's impossible. It's impossible. 3 love empties fully first john 3:16 by this we know love that he laid down his life for us tim savage who i borrowed these points from he wrote this he said it's one thing to see what a wife needs it's another thing to do something about it and it's quite another thing to do whatever it takes to resolve her needs even to the point of laying down your life it's impossible You see, as you do your role, husband, wife, you shine the spotlight on Christ's love for the church. How much does Christ love the church? More than you'll ever know. I love how Paul wraps it up in verse 33. He he just reminds us of the roles. He says, Let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, as you do this, you shine the spotlight on him. Now, as I was writing this sermon this week, I tend to be a practical person, okay? I like to approach things from the the question of, you know, what does this look like in the real world, (laughs) okay? Uh, Yeah, you're saying all these things, but I want to understand, like, how do I do this? But as I was writing, the Holy Spirit just kind of put the brakes on that. It was like, Rob, I don't think people need tools and techniques this morning. I don't think that you need to get into kind of all of the different issues that people deal with when it comes to marriage. This morning, I want you to address this at a foundational level. Now, the foundational level is why did God give marriage to us? And why is it so essential that we approach marriage within our roles? And, and why Even if I'm not married this morning, why should I celebrate it if I'm a Christian? Now we'll get into the practical later. This summer, I'm going to do a series called I Still Do. And I'm going to be asking in that series, how do I grow through the milestones of marriage? Because marriage has milestones along the way. But here's the thing, all of those tools and techniques and helpful pointers and that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean anything if I get the foundational wrong. All of that is built upon the foundation. So I really have to ask myself this morning, and I'm asking you to consider, do you take God at his word? Do you believe that God gave marriage as a gift and no matter what your experience has been, no matter what your marriage status is this morning? Do you celebrate it? Not just as something that a husband and a wife share together, but something that's good for society. Do you believe that the marriage relationship shines the spotlight on Christ's love for the church? Listen, when we honor God at the foundational levels, guess what he does in turn? He honors and blesses us. And I want God's blessing in my life. I don't know about you. So let's pray. Lord, this morning we have looked at your word and I thank you for what Paul says of your word. He says that all scripture is God-breathed. So every word of the Bible comes to us via the Holy Spirit for a purpose. No matter what my experience has been, no matter where I've been, every jot and tittle of the bible every letter and sentence if you will and period has something to say to me and it has something for me and marriage has something to say to me this morning from the word of god and i thank you for that i pray lord that we would be a church and a people who celebrate marriage as a gift and see that it points to a reality that is far greater than even itself I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that even as we're looking at this passage on marriage, we could go back and think about what Christ did for us. He laid down his life for us so that we could come back into a right relationship with you. Thank you for that, Lord. And I can say on behalf of everyone here, we want to grow into this life that you're giving us. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, if you would stand with me, let me close with a blessing. This is a blessing that I will just continue to speak over you week after week, a blessing that's come as I've studied Scripture, and I want this for you more than anything. This week, may you experience more of God's love. May you grow to look more like Jesus And may you be filled with the Spirit, especially you husbands. See you later.